The expats would not exist without the support of so many fantastic people. We've seen steady growth in the listenership of the show since we launched in June, and we've been reaching out to expats communities around the planet. And we'd like to reach out to you, too. We've done a limited edition run of expats podcast postcards. We've been sending them out to the guests of the show, but we'd love to send them out to our listeners as well. Send your mailing address to info at expatspodcast.ca and then wait patiently by your mailbox. We'll send you one of the cards right away. And when you get yours, share it on Twitter or on Facebook or wherever you want to share it and let people know you love the show. I mean, we assume you do, even if that isn't terribly Canadian of us. Thanks for listening. And now on with the show. Hong Kong is something of an aberration in China. Officially called Hong Kong Special Administrative Region of the People's Republic of China, it's a former British colony with a fairly large expat population. There are about 7.3 million people living in an area of about 1,104 square kilometers. If you wanted to cover Canada in Hong Kongs, you'd need over 9,000 of them. Apart from a brief conquest from Japan during the Second World War, Hong Kong was a British colony from 1842 to 1997. On Canada Day in 1997, Hong Kong was handed back to China. And though relations between mainland China and Hong Kong have long been rocky, that didn't stop this week's guest from starting a life there six years ago on The Expats. Welcome to the Expats. I'm your host, Adam Rosenhart, based out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Brandy Stern never intended to live in Hong Kong, or Asia, or South America, but she's been living abroad for about a dozen years, half that time in the former British colony, and her arrival there was circuitous, to say the least. It was kind of a journey, a path. I didn't initially leave Canada to go to Hong Kong. Um, I left and ended up in Guatemala, and just sort of as I progressed through my career and my explorations, I ended up in Hong Kong for a position here at a, at a school that was I had a friend working at, actually. Oh, okay. So are you, uh, are you like teaching English or something like that? No. Uh, I teach at an international school. Um, I've been very fortunate. There's a huge, um, what would you call it, network, I suppose, of international schools around the world catering to expats' children. Um, so I've taught in schools that have had the Ontario curriculum. Currently, I'm in a school that has international baccalaureate curriculum. So I'm a theater teacher, actually, um, and I'm just and a curriculum coordinator at the school. Okay, so so paint the picture for me. You're in Guatemala on an adventure, traveling around, and and you're like, hmm, I need a job, and it needs to be in Hong Kong. What what happened exactly? I think I misled you a little bit. I was actually in Guatemala working. It wasn't nearly that exciting. Um, What actually happened is I was in Edmonton. I was, you know, finishing university, working at a sports bar, trying to think of what to do. And it occurred to me that I had always wanted to travel. And so in a conversation with um, one of my coworkers, 
she mentioned her father was a principal at a school in central Alberta and she mentioned that she was going to go to this international job fair in Toronto. So I decided to go along and it was overwhelming and exciting and the two places I thought that I didn't want to go were Central America and Asia and those are the two <laughs> places I've been and loved. Uh, and I got offered a few jobs and Guatemala just seemed like the most exciting one. I was, you know, in my 20s and I wanted something that was a bit more exciting. So away I went to Guatemala, not really considering the dangerous factor. So, What, what do you mean by that, some of the dangers of Guatemala? Well, just I, I guess my family and friends' reaction were like, what are you thinking? Because Guatemala, um, you know, they had gone through... Uh, a 30 plus year civil war there was a lot of of leftover sort of crime and corruption there and as I don't know if you've followed in the news there's been a lot of political turmoil recently due to the corruption in politics so crime was sort of a factor that friends and family in Canada were thinking like whoa this is dangerous why would you do that um, and although it was dangerous and there was crime it was interesting because you could feel that it was a sense of necessity, there was poverty, there was some desperation as far as the crime that would be aimed at expats. Um, and I would come back to Canada and there'd be, you know, someone putting hot dogs with cyanide in the park to kill puppies. And I thought, hmm, that crime there makes more sense, to be honest. <laughs> so did you, well, while you're living in Guatemala, your friends and family in Canada are like, what the heck are you doing? Did you actually feel unsafe? Like, if you put yourself back in that situation, think back. Was there a time where you were like, what am I doing here? No, not really. There was only sort of one... I mean, you became very conscious of just how to be careful. It was just being smart about things. And, um, you know, I had a couple of Guatemalan friends, and one of them in particular, I remember my father came to visit, and he was telling my father that I needed to get a car because I was being... Um, silly taking taxis because it was too dangerous but I never felt that way um, there was one time that we were pulled over by police and I felt a little bit scared I had just moved there but it, they just were you know checking who we wa were why were there all these expats here and um, you had to be careful but no and I felt that the people were wonderful generally speaking everyone I met was really kind and I feel that if I went back today that I would have a place to stay and then you know, parents of students I taught would be excited to see me and old friends would still be warm and hospitable. It was a really vibrant, beautiful culture. So what got you, what made you want to go to try some, another experience uh, in Hong Kong? I, I went to Singapore actually after that first and it sort of just came to me. I, I received a message through the recruiting agency that I had initially got the job in Guatemala um, that someone had inquired about me. They were looking for um, a social studies teacher. At the time, I was teaching social studies. And other teachers from the school I was at were going there, so they thought I might be interested. And the other teachers that I knew um, painted a very pretty picture of what life in Singapore would be like. So I had left Canada thinking I would be gone for a year to Guatemala and stayed too. And then this adventure came up, and I thought, oh, well, you know, here's another opportunity to live and experience a different culture and a different way of life. So I went ahead with that and moved to Singapore. So that doesn't actually sound like it was a very difficult choice for you to make. Was there a point there where you were deciding where you were like, maybe I should go back to Canada? At that point, I think the thoughts of going back to Canada were more guilt based, like, oh, <laughs> you know, 
people, my, my parents would like me to come back. There certainly has been points over the years where I've struggled with why am I over here? Why am I not home? Um, and, and guilt that is self-induced, I guess. Um, and just questioning where am I? What am I doing? Uh, you don't have the same permanency when you're living here but you certainly make networks and friends and family. So it is, it is a bit of a battle sometimes, but I think the opportunities I've had and the experiences and the friends I've made have been certainly worthwhile. So when did you leave Singapore? I was there for four years, um, and it was actually a very comfy couch. Uh, I worked at a Canadian school. Um, it was Ontario curriculum. A lot of the students were Canadian. Most of the people I worked with were Canadian. We would have Thanksgiving parties and, you know, people would host pierogi making parties and we'd get up at three in the morning to watch Olympic hockey together. And <laughs> so there was a lot of comforts and familiarity that way. Um, the school was, the people that worked there were really dynamic. The kids were great. Um, and it was, I really enjoyed it, but I was, got to the point where I was feeling like I needed to sort of push myself a little bit more and and try a different experience. And because I had lived in Guatemala and been in a different place, I knew the opportunities of trying something new and, and pushing yourself. Moving around like this is, you know, for my career has really made me change because the context between a school, one school to another, is so different that it's really made my perspective of education much broader than it would have been if I'd stayed at one place. Now, if you're working at these international schools that you're, you're saying typically play host to the children of other expats, does that, how does that affect the way that you integrate into the culture of the place that you're living in? So far, I mean, Guatemala was a bit different. There wasn't such, yeah, Singapore and Hong Kong have a big network of international schools. It's actually quite um, a competitive business and like for lack of a better way to say it, because there's such a big expat population. Guatemala didn't have so much of the same um, expat population, and a lot of the people there were maybe NGOs or had a different context of why they were there. So it was different in Guatemala, and I would say maybe in some ways we were a bit of a novelty to the Guatemalans. I did make friends with other people that were expats, but they typically worked in embassies um, or nonprofit work. Whereas here, there is, in Hong Kong, you know, there's such a large population of expatriates, but it, you know, it was a British colony for so long. And there's, I have a lot of friends that are British, but they were born in Hong Kong. This is their home and this is the only place they've been. I have students like that. Um, and last year, I don't know if you saw on the news, there was some protests here about the electoral process and, and what they felt um, China was giving them as way of voice in the electoral process, and my students voiced to me that they, you know, they were born here, they'd lived here their whole life. Hong Kong was home to them, but they didn't feel that they belonged at the protests. They were going down there, but they felt like people thought that they were there for novelty, not because it was their home and it mattered to them. Huh. So it's very interesting in Hong Kong. It's almost like they just ignore you, like you're just normal, and they expect you to be here, and it's not such a big deal. And the the international schools are well established. Some have been here 60 plus years. So it's just sort of another route of education available to people in Hong Kong. Okay. Well, so, you you know, you raised the point about, um, 
Hong Kong being a, a former British colony, how has the the Chinese government's sort of takeover of of Hong Kong affected it? Is or or has it at all? Uh, I definitely think it has. It's interesting because there's so many long term expats here. You have to excuse my pronunciation. I have a cold today. That's okay. Um, they you get some stories and some perspectives of what it was like before and after. I think, you know, it's really been a financial, I, I, I'm trying to think of the nicest way to say it. I mean, Hong Kong has been financially beneficial for China, I think. You know, mm. it's very different in China now, but in 1997, um, you know, capitalism wasn't so common in China in some ways as it is now. So Hong Kong provided that opportunity to trade with the West, to have the banking connections, and that's really well established here. Um, I've heard from a lot of people that you, the influence of Chinese culture is much more prevalent now than it was. I've also heard um, some stories that aren't so favorable to what it was like under British rule in the fact that certain institutions were far less open to the local Chinese population as they are now. I would feel that I get the impression that there's a, probably a more equitable balance of Eastern and Western culture here now. Certainly, you don't need to speak Cantonese to live here. There's lots of the comforts of the West, but you can definitely see Chinese culture everywhere you go. A growingly proud Chinese Cantonese population here that their language, their culture, who they are is very important to them. They've, they've gone for so many generations where they had, you know, British influence over them and now uh, mainland Chinese influence over them that it's probably, and this is only my speculation, you know, it may be very wrong, but I would imagine that there's some similarities to what it would be like to be a French Canadian, to be a Cantonese Chinese person living in Hong Kong. That's really interesting. And I wonder what it means for, you know, the future of China is because Hong Kong in, in some ways is like the the testing ground between, you know, capital, capitalism and communism, as you mentioned. I wonder what that means, like what Hong Kong represents for the long-term fortunes of China. I think, you know, that's harder to say now. I think years ago, what I remember still as a kid watching the handover and, and not fully understanding it, but as I got older and, and knew more about the world, thinking, oh, well, you know, China will always keep Hong Kong the way it is because they need that connection with the West. But I don't think that's true any longer. And you can see, in, in, I mean, Shanghai is definitely a modern city with a lot of the trappings of the Western world and international business and banking and a huge expat population. Beijing also has a huge expat population. Um, I would say most of the big cities, which a big city in China is a ginormous city anywhere else, um, have a big expat population and, and businesses and things happening. And I know Shenzhen, which is sort of our border city over the, just over the border in China, is really developing quickly and almost sort of a com competition city with Hong Kong. One of the big differences right now is sales tax. Um, mm. In Hong Kong, there's no sales tax. So you do see a lot of Chinese, uh, mainland Chinese visitors coming over for shopping because they can get things cheaper here. And that's one sort of benefit of Hong Kong right now. Um, but if China takes Hong Kong fully back into the fold as, as part of mainland China, that would change. So it's hard to say. I think, you know, there is a benefit to keeping Hong Kong with this sort of some semblance of democracy that it has now because 
it attracts more business. Um, the shopping aspect of it is beneficial for, for China and for Hong Kong. It's difficult to say, and I think that's one of the reasons the protests happen is because there is some uncertainty there. And, you know, if you're growing up in Hong Kong now and you have a certain way of life, it can be a bit scary to not know what's going to happen when, when this special constitution expires. Now, you mentioned big, humongous cities. Uh, what's it like for someone who grew up in Canada, which is all about wide open spaces, being, oh. being with, you know, uh, stuck in this crush of people? How, what's it like getting used to something like that? I think in the heart of me, I always like city life. So it's a bit exciting. I like, I, I, it sounds silly, but I remember living in Edmonton and sometimes just needing a break. And I would go to a mall and walk around um, just because I felt anonymous. You know, mm. like, I don't know how else to explain that. I grew up in a very small town, which has so many benefits and was so lovely and surrounded by big skies and beautiful landscapes. But going in just being, nobody knows you and you can just sort of, move through the day um, is quite nice as well. In Hong Kong, you get a nice balance of that. I would say probably Hong Kong feels more small town than Edmonton did in some ways because you just seem to, everybody knows everybody. But it's nice to have all the conveniences of a city, the energy of the city, some of the you know cultural opportunities that come with living in a city, I really like. In Hong Kong, I'm fortunate because actually 70% of Hong Kong is, is green space um, and country park and they've got over 100 kilometers of hiking trails and lots of beaches, so you can escape it very easily. But uh, in other places, like in Singapore, it was much harder to escape the city aspect of it. It makes me appreciate Canada much more. When I go home, the skies, I'm just in awe, you know, and it just makes me so excited to see the stars so clearly again. And so I think, if anything, it's made me appreciate Canada more. So when you, when you do come back and, and then you... You know, you come back home to Canada and then you head back to uh, Hong Kong or wherever you happen to be living. What is it that every time you leave, you're like, ah, I'm going to miss this? I mean, you mentioned big skies, but is there anything else? Oh, so many things. Silly things, some of it. Like, I really miss um, really old cheese. There's a certain cheese you can get at a certain supermarket there that I really miss, which sounds <laughs> silly. Um, of course, I miss my family and friends. I miss... That when I go home, there's a certain feeling of of normalcy that I feel, you know, almost jealous of every time I go home. And you know, when I come here, I I don't feel it as much because I have a life here and things are great. But when I go home, for instance, I was in Toronto this summer with a really good friend of mine, and she's working at a great school there and has a little house in a nice part of the city. And you know, going around and walking around the neighborhoods, and I was thinking, oh, this could be a great life. Um, so it's, it's hard. I guess it, the thing is that's difficult is I feel like I have two homes. I've been in Hong Kong for six years now. Um, I live here. I met my fiance here. Um, I have a great group of friends, a really nice life. So it feels like home. But then I go back to Canada and that also feels like home. And even silly things like watching HGTV, just that familiarity and comfort and remembering what it was like before I left is what I think kind of gives me that pang in my heart when I leave. Yeah. You mentioned you're engaged. Now, congratulations, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, where will you guys get married? We're actually getting married in Dublin, strangely enough. Neither of us are Irish. Um, 
it, <laughs> he's from the UK, and uh, it was uh, his comment that we should get married somewhere neutral, and then he suggested Ireland, which maybe not the most neutral place, but his idea was he knew that my parents had been there and really loved mm -hmm. Ireland, and uh, so we decided that that might be a nice place. We're both theater teachers, and we found this old restoration period theater there to get married in, which, as theater teachers, seems a bit wanky for lack of a better word but <laughs> it's beautiful and it's a nice opportunity to get our families together um and celebrate and have a little vacation a little holiday with our families together so it'll be exciting i think that's cool now you know you mentioned the pangs of home what are there any plans for you to to go back to canada and i don't want to i don't want to use the phrase settle down but but to to s start your new life with your husband there it's something that, yeah, like it, it's an interesting discussion to have because we have different homes um, and that is, you know, and you hear actually because there's, it's quite common to find expat couples that are from different countries that have met overseas um, and you hear some advice that you should always settle somewhere neutral to make it fair. Um, sometimes, you know, in a couple there's just one person who it means more to and that's more important to them. I think, you know, probably when I was there this summer, um, my fiance felt a lot of pressure about me wanting to move back. And I don't think he would be opposed to that or I think it would have to be a discussion. And if it was something I really wanted, um, it would definitely be a consideration. If it was something, if he really wanted to move back to the UK, it would be a consideration. Um, we've talked about that because it is something you need to think about. Yeah. And, it's a really interesting situation to be in. Um, I'm sure both of both sets of parents would like us to move back home. Um, and it's hard because it must be some fear for them thinking that, well, what if they go to this person's home instead of our home? So we're keeping it neutral right now. For the immediate future, Hong Kong is where we plan to stay. We have um, great jobs here and like I said, a good set of friends and a really nice life. And we don't see the need to uproot that for the time being. Now, any, last question, any advice for Canadians who might be listening to the show and thinking they want to try living abroad? What would you tell those people? Go for it. I, you know, it's funny because people have said to me, you know, quite a few times, more so when I was, you know, younger, oh, you're so brave, oh, you know, going overseas. I never felt that I was that brave. It felt quite easy, actually, and uh, I, I don't regret it for a second. It's been really, I've been so fortunate to have the experiences, go the places I've gone, meet the people I have. It's given me a, a much broader perspective of the world, which I really appreciate, um, and it, it's a lot of fun. I will say that it's probably harder on your liver than living in Canada, <laughs> but, you know, that's... Yeah, you can find the balance eventually with that. Eventually. Um, eventually. <laughs> I think, you know, if, if you have an opportunity and you're worried about it, you can always go home. And I know lots of people who have. And really, you think about, you know, two, five, whatever years of your life. It goes so quickly. People won't forget about you back home. And the friendships that are there and your family and you know, it's an opportunity for them to go and visit you and feel safe coming to a new place. I definitely think it's worth a try for everyone if they want to give it a try. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Expats. If there are any expats you think I should be speaking with, have them email me at info at expatspodcast.ca or send me an email yourself. 
and let's keep building this global network of Canadians living abroad. I've been your host, Adam Rosenhart. If you liked this episode, do us a big favor and leave us a review on iTunes. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch up again in a couple of weeks. Bye.